We have two scripture readings this morning. The first is in the book of Malachi as we're going through this last book of the New Te- uh, Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. Sometimes um, he, he's a minor prophet. Uh, there are three major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They're the big guys. And they're major, not because they were more important than the other prophets, but because if you look at those books, they're longer. Like 40, 50 chapters of them. The minor prophets are minor, not because they're less important, but because there's just less of them. As you look, sometimes you only have a page or two of them. And sometimes they're called the 12 prophets. And Malachi is the last of the 12 prophets. Uh, Easy to find in your Bible. Find your New Testament and go back a couple pages. The book of Malachi. And we are beginning in chapter 1, verse 6. And we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 9. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now this admonition is for you, O priests, if you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I've sent you with this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. 
This called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth people should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. In the second reading from the New Testament, Peter's letter, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 9. Turn there with me. As you come to Him, the living stone... Rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And may God bless to our understanding the reading of His Word. Amen. If you were a priest at the temple in Jerusalem, you would be from either the families of Aaron or the families of Levi. And if you were a priest at the temple in Jerusalem, you would wear very carefully prescribed clothes as outlined by God in the Old Testament. It would be very ornate and it would set you apart from everybody else in Jerusalem. They would know who you were by the clothes you wore. And if you were a priest at the temple in Jerusalem, it would be a very high calling. What Jewish mother wouldn't want her boy to be a priest in the temple? It was a good gig. If you were a priest in the temple, you would have the responsibility of leading the people in the worship of the Lord. You would be responsible for the, the setup, the utensils, the furnishings of the temple. You would be involved in the music. You might even play an instrument. You might be Greg or Josh or Dave. You might even have to sing. You might have to be Michelle. If you were a priest, they had to lead the music oftentimes as well as the instrumentation. And if you were a priest, your biggest concern was to help people to honor the name of the Lord. If you were a priest in Old Testament Judaism, when there was a temple still standing, much of your days would be spent doing sacrifices. Lambs, goats, birds, bulls would be brought to you, and it was your job to receive those from the people and to slaughter those animals. You see, the sacrifices atoned for the sins of the people. The Bible, God said in the Old Testament, blood has to be shed for the forgiveness of sins and for people to approach the holy God. Being a priest was hard work. 
think about slaughtering animals all day long. And the priest had to know how to cut it, what to do with the parts you kept, what to do with the parts you burned, and then what to do with all the blood. Anybody in? And the reason there were so many, there were tons of priests in Israel. It wasn't just a few. There were lots because they needed a huge group of priests to receive the waves of people bringing sacrifices every day and then particularly in the holy seasons around Jerusalem when literally thousands of people would come. Sheep, bulls, lambs, goats, blood, all day long. It's hard work. And if you were a priest, you had the special privilege of helping people in the knowledge of God. Priests were to teach the laws, the commands of God. They were to help people know what it was to live before God. But through the prophet Malachi, the Lord calls out all the priests of Israel. He calls them out. And he says, the priests are showing contempt for my name. Their worship is shoddy. It is sloppy. They don't even give me, the Lord, the honor that is due my name. And the priests can't believe what they're getting. How can the Lord say this about us? And they put God on the stand and they question God as to how exactly are we showing contempt for your name? And the Lord says, well, you're defiling my altar. And then they say, how in your name are we defiling your altar? You see, in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, people were to bring only the best, only the best animals for their sacrifices. If you brought a goat, it had to be a male goat, and it had to be perfect. No blemishes. You had to bring your absolute best for your sacrifice before the Lord. The Lord is holy. Anything but the best is to dishonor Him. Yet the people were bringing blemished sacrifices the priests and the priests were just looking the other way they weren't concerned about this the people were keeping the best animals for themselves back at home and then they would bring the animals that were absolutely worthless and this is what they brought to honor the lord in fact it says that the priests and the people were weary of even coming to the temple we're weary of this we're bored and all the priests just went right along with it and the lord says it would be better if you lock the doors of the temple then continue this charade that you call worship before me. Well, imagine, it's like this. Imagine being invited, invited to a dinner party and the host or the hostess brings out that week's leftovers from their house and puts that before you and serves that. Now, would you feel honored? Would you feel like, wow, this person is really glad I'm here? They've gone to a lot of trouble to put this meal together. I can tell I'm special to them. We probably wouldn't, would we? Well, that's like what the priests were doing with the Lord. Nobody was bringing their best. They were bringing their worst, their least, the leftovers. Obviously, I've been pondering this passage all week long and thinking about this. And I've wondered. I've been testing myself, all of us. I'm saying, Phil, do you bring your best when you come to worship God? Do we bring our best when we come to worship Him? Phil, do you come with your best message, with your best leadership? Do our leaders come with their best 
Do we, do we as a congregation, do we sing our best? Do we bring our best offerings? Do we bring our best hearts? Or do we just kind of come convictionless, go through the motions, worship? Boy, I hope Malachi wouldn't say to me, Phil, you are holding the Lord's name in contempt. I pray not. Now, our best doesn't mean that you have to be able to sing well or that you even have to be able to pray eloquently. There are Sundays we don't feel our best. We come and we're a little tired or we're a little beat up from the week. And there are Sundays I confess, I come. And I, you know, I don't feel just great. And um, sometimes my heart is heavy or it's worn down. But I still want to bring my heart as it is, uh, as good as I can bring it before God. There's a sense that worship is like a performance. It's like a performance before God. Think, imagine going to the Shakespeare Festival. And the actors come out, and you come to see this wonderful play of Shakespeare, and the actors come out, and they, they're forgetting their lines, and they just seem really unrehearsed. Or imagine you go to the youth's football game, or the, you go to the Real soccer game, and the players come out, and they're just terrible. And it seems like they don't even care. They're not even hustling. Or imagine you go to the symphony and you're at a Bravino Hall ready for this great night of music and, and they're playing the wrong notes and the tempos are off and it just seems like they're not even rehearsed. Well, what would happen in any of those scenarios? I'll tell you what would happen. People would start booing. People would get up and leave. Maybe people go to the box office and say, I want my money back. This was a waste of my time. I can't believe I paid for this. Well, why should the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, expect anything less than His best, than our best from His people? Why do we expect God to meet us? If we would come lackadaisical with only 60%, 75% of ourselves, what right, what, what excuse do we have to come before him with anything less than our best? What are we saying if we bring less than our best? Now, we don't bring animals any longer because Christ, the Lamb of God, has been slain on the cross for us. When he died, the curtain was torn in two at the temple, signifying all can come into God's presence. You don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. In Hebrews, we read that it was Christ's blood that allows us to come into His presence. And it's greater than the blood of bulls, it's greater than the blood of goats, and by His blood, everyone has access to come before the Lord. We don't come with animals now. We come with ourselves. Martin Luther said this. He said, If our offering and our worship is to be pure, we must always present to the Most High the male of our flock, which is our utmost and our absolute best. Not part of our best, not just a good try, but our purest and strongest possessions. And it applies to all areas of our life since worship is a nonstop action. We must give God our purest, our best, whether we are in school, whether we are in our job, whether we are in relationships, money, responsibilities. Nothing is excluded. Anything less qualifies us, he said, to be cursed as cheats. We're cheating God. We're cheating God. Now, all of this bringing of blemished, lame, imperfect, valueless sacrifices was doing this. In essence, it was dishonoring the name of the Lord Almighty. 
You notice again and again, the Lord's name comes up in what Malachi says, how it's treated, how it's regarded. Who does God think he is? God? Offerings and incense are to be offered in the Lord's name. He says, my name is to be great among the nations. Levi revered my name, yet the priests are showing contempt for my name. And ten times we hear this, says the Lord Almighty, says the Lord Almighty, says the Lord Almighty. Some Bibles and a good translation of the Lord Almighty is also the Lord of hosts, which is to say that, that God is the Lord of the armies of heaven, the, the powers, the uh, cosmic powers, the angels. In essence, he's the commander in chief. And in the ancient world, the commander-in-chief, the king, was also the ruler of the military. So it's, it's speaking of God's royal majesty. He's also the king, and he's the commander-in-chief. He's the Lord of hosts. The Lord Almighty, he's on his throne. He's powerful. He has authority. It's a very high name for God. It's used almost 300 times in the Bible. And in the Bible, when you speak of someone's name, it has to do with their nature. It has to do with their character. We still speak of someone's name like that today. We talk about someone having a good name or a bad name, and we're talking about their reputation. Someone has a bad name, we're saying they have a bad reputation. Well, to reverence and to fear the Lord's name is to honor and reverence who he is and what he's like. I think it's important that Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, how did he say to pray? He said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy, be your name. Right, true, sincere worship is an expression of lives that are lived in the knowledge of God and in relationship with God. And the various things we do in worship, whether we sing, whether we pray, whether we confess, whether we read the word, as we hear the word, all of those things are done so that the knowledge of God may be given fuller and richer expression in each one of our lives. Worship becomes meaningless if we lose a knowledge of who this God is that we worship. Malachi sees the problem. And nobody cared too much about the sacrifices and the worship because nobody really cared too much about God. Second-rate sacrifices were good enough in their worship because it really didn't matter to them. God says he wants his name to be honored from the rising of the sun to the setting. His name is who he is and what he is. Well, what is God's nature and character? He is love. The Lord is just. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is compassion. The Lord is holy, among many other things. And that needs to be reflected in our worship. When when we worship well, we know who the God is, who we are worshiping. And when we gather to sing, when we gather to praise and, and share communion and, and pray together and sing, we, we're getting a glimpse, hopefully, of who God is again. Uh, we hear how the Lord has acted, what He's done. We remember what He's like and what He's all about. I read Malachi and I need a lot of help to understand Malachi. I don't, I don't read the Minor Prophets too much. And I have found very helpful that a commentary on Malachi by a late Bible scholar named Elizabeth Actemeyer. She's no longer living, but she was so good in her interpretation of the Bible. It's been very helpful to me, and she wrote this. 
in her commentary on Malachi. But when the church fails to tell its gospel story, its worshipers bring blemished gifts to God. The coins in the offering plate that cost them nothing. Their discards for the poor, the remnants of their time, and the grudging gifts of their talents. Worship becomes a perfunctory, sometimes tiresome service, or at best a sleepy duty, ineffective to change or touch anything in the worshippers' hearts and lives. And my prayer every week, every week for our times of worship, is that people, whatever service they come to, wherever they come from, would leave with a deeper, some deeper understanding of who God is. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, remember I said, imagine that you're a priest. Imagine you're a priest at the temple. Let me tell you something. You are. Uh, You may not have fancy vestments. You may not spend your days doing sacrifices or at the temple, but you are a priest. Because of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the priesthood now has been transferred to everybody who believes in him. Did you hear what Peter wrote? Did you hear what he said when we read that? We're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We are a chosen people. There it is again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. All people are gifted, we're equipped, we are enabled to serve God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as priests and to bring honor to his name. Not just pastors, not just a few specially trained or ordained people, but all believers in Christ are priests serving God. And we sometimes call this, we sometimes call it the priesthood of all believers. And it's in the New Testament and that's where our conviction comes from. Here, uh, Revelation chapter 1, we're told again, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood... That's the end of the sacrifices because of the blood of Christ. He shed his blood for the sins of the whole world and made us to be a kingdom. He made us to be priests serving his God and Father. We're priests of the living God, but now we don't bring bulls, we don't bring lambs, we don't bring goats, we bring ourselves. And we not only are priests, but we're also the sacrifice. Hear Paul in Romans when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Jesus doesn't want animals anymore. He wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants our vocations. He wants our times. He wants our leisure. He wants our personalities. And he wants the best. He doesn't want the leftovers. No longer is worship. It's not just a few religious acts a week. Worship now is something that happens all the time. It's our whole lives. And then listen to these words from Hebrews. One one more passage. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For such sacrifices, God, With such sacrifices, God is pleased. We are to offer spiritual sacrifices to bless, to praise the name of God openly, but we aren't just to talk. We are also to do good, 
to share our stuff. And those sacrifices of doing good bring great pleasure to God. They really do. Our sharing of the gospel. Any acts of love that we do. Sharing our stuff. Those, are, those, those bring honor to God. Whenever we bring food to somebody who's hungry. Whenever we visit that person in the hospital who's sick. Whenever we pray for someone. Whenever we teach children in Sunday school or mentor our youth. Whenever we uh, give generously in our offerings to other things. Whenever we give our time. Whenever we give our energy. We act in God's name. Those are spiritual sacrifices that bring pleasure to God. I think every day. Every day we need to. Lay our lives on the altar, altar of God, and say, Lord, use me and just burn me up today as your sacrifice. Use me in some way in your name to bring honor to your name. And we don't have to fear about not always doing it good enough or perfect because we have Christ who takes away all our blemishes and makes us presentable to the Father. Many years ago, the neighborhood where I was a pastor in Philadelphia was a heavily Roman Catholic neighborhood. There were three large, large Roman Catholic churches within a quarter mile radius of where Nancy and I lived in our apartment. And because of the flavor of the area, uh, most of the time, most every day, I would wear a, a shirt that you, I guess you would call a priest's shirt, a backwards collar it's called, with a tab, priest shirt with the tab. Uh, Nancy, who's also an ordained pastor, was on the staff of a church across the river from Philadelphia in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And on Sundays, uh, when they would lead worship, they were a more formal church, and she would also wear what you call a priest shirt. Boy, on a Sunday morning in a Roman Catholic neighborhood, when all these people are headed off to Mass, and a woman walks out wearing a priest shirt, you ought to see the looks. And when Nancy became pregnant with our first child, Sena, and on Sunday morning she would walk out in a pre-shirt onto the streets, you ought to really seen the looks then. I would look out the window just to watch. It was fun. One day at one of the churches where I pastored, uh, there was some work that needed to be done in the church and some workmen were coming to do it. I couldn't be there, and so a woman named Doris, we arranged for her to go and up, open up the church. Uh, for these men uh, to be let in. Doris, Doris, she was just a faithful, lovely woman in our congregation. Uh, they finished the work, and as they were leaving, a man came to Doris, and he had bought a cross, and he had it in his hand, this little cross, and he asked her if she would bless this cross for him. What would you do? <laughs> uh, my guess was he was probably nominally Catholic and thought, well, maybe Doris was a nun or something and uh, she could probably do this. You know, we Protestants don't generally bless crosses. It's not that we can't. It's not that we don't. Um, we just tend to be not so mystical. Uh, Doris was kind of taken aback by this request. What should she do? I don't know. Does the Book of Order say anything about blessing crosses? Do you have to have special license or, or training? Or I don't know. Is the Pope going to find me if I do something like this? Uh, um, she thought about it. And then she told me she reached out her hand and she blessed that man's cross in the name of Jesus, just in the best way she knew how. Now, I don't know what blessing a piece of jewelry does for anybody. Um, Doris and I talked about this. Uh, she told me what happened. It, it's, a, it's a little hocus pocus. But... 
the point I want to make is that Doris went ahead and she acted as a priest for God. She did exactly what she should have done. She acted on behalf of Christ and in his name in the best way that she could. We're all priests. We're all saved. We're all redeemed. We're all empowered by God to offer spiritual sacrifices in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope you never feel you can't act in God's name on behalf of someone. Don't call me. You do it. You pray. You listen to that person. You act. You be the priest. You be the bridge builder, the connection between God and that other person. You minister to them. Because you're not just a professor at the university. You are a priest of the Most High. You're not only a father or a mother or a grandparent. You are a priest of God Almighty. You're not just a salesman or a financial consultant or a doctor or a nurse. You are a priest for the Lord of hosts. And you may be young. You may be retired. But you're part of a holy priesthood made to bring honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.